This is great. I uh, thank you so much, Reverend Fathers, ladies and gentlemen, the clans, right? Uh, I uh, I'm very gratified to learn that that uh, our host has requested that everybody pull out the one in the chamber before I speak, because I think I'm the only Yankee in the room. Is that right? <laughs> Slightly intimidating. Now, it does remind me, though, I used to, when I was, uh, I did go to school in Virginia, went to college in Virginia. So I, I, it's northern Virginia. I realize that doesn't count. But one night I was bartending to pay my way through school, and one night I was bartending, and I closed my bar down, and I was counting the money and putting away the glasses, and all of a sudden, two good old boys come in from the back, big, big, burly boys. And I hear them talking. They asked for, ask for a beer, and I said, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, we're closed. I can't do it. We're all locked up. That's BS, he says. They won't take that from you, you northern son of a... And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to get in trouble. And I said, no, boys. So I'm doing this, putting glasses up. They're right behind me. I'm like, what's going to happen here? Because they're not happy that they couldn't get that bottle of, of, of Stroh's or whatever. They want. So finally, I had an idea. I said, well, to tell you the truth, guys, I'm from... I'm, I'm north of the Mason-Dixon, that's true, but I love the South, and I think someday it may even rise again. <laughs> and they're thinking, yeah, right, listen to this one go, oh, yeah, right. So I had a, I had a, my guardian angel gave me an idea. They, they tested me, and they said, yeah, you're so southern, you so like this kind of thing, this kind of line. What kind of deer rifle you got? And I just happened to have the right one. I said, a Winchester 300 Magnum. <laughs> and they went, oh, shoot. Yeah, you know what he is? He's a damn Yankee. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. So I want to let you all know, I have, still have the Winchester 300 Magnum. So I'm, I'm hopefully, I guess as I understand it, a damn Yankee means a Yankee who's useless in every other way except that he likes the South. I think, <laughs> I think that's what it is. I do very much like the South. In fact, I, I think the South was one of the, uh, the, the war between the, of northern aggression. It's one of the biggest piece of fake news uh, that, that we all had to, our country had to go through. I'm sure you can tell me the stories better than I can. Uh, Jefferson Davis, the only, the only head, European head of, of, of state, if you will, to support the South, with Jeff, Jeff, Jefferson Davis as president, was Pope Pius IX. And he sent a, a a thorn from the crown of thorns of our Lord to uh, Jefferson Davis, and he kept a portrait of the Pope over his fireplace. So there's a lot more, and we obviously are not going to get into that today. But of course, there's a lot more to that. We've been victimized for a long, long, long time by lies and by fake news. And that's one of the really difficult things about what we all have to do. We all have to look very honestly at who and what we think we are to try to identify what we're going to do in the future. So I want to bring, this is another thing that might get me in trouble, but I want, you're all talking about flags. I've got a gift. I want to bring, a, bring this to, to Ross and to whoever else is responsible for this magnificent conference. This is... Uh, so... I'll just put that right here. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I, I, I really mean that as, as a gift because I think it's one of the things that we all have to do um, as Americans, whether we're from New Orleans or anywhere else, is put that sacred heart on first. That's, that's what we are first. We're Catholics first. And it's very difficult because patriotism is a natural virtue and every one of us feels patriotic towards our country. But we're living, we're just down the street, I understand, from Lafayette. I assume Lafayette is named after the Marquis de Lafayette, right, from the, from the Revolutionary War. One of the instrumental Freemasonic figures that went back to Paris 
and brought the, the, the ideas of revolution that were being tested in the new world in 1776 in order to get ready for 1789. It's difficult to accept these things, but it's true. We may have great respect for somebody like, like uh, Benjamin Franklin. Well, guess what Benjamin Franklin should be known for? He's the one that told the fake news lie that when Marie Antoinette was informed that the people of Paris were starving, supposedly she said, let them eat cake. And if you look too far into the story of Marie Antoinette and you realize how she suffered, how she died a martyr's death, the image of Benjamin Franklin begins to pale. And you get a little furious for what they did and their contributions to the French genocide in the Vendée, to the French Revolution, right? Marie Antoinette, a 15-year-old Austrian princess, the last place she wanted to be was in Paris, married to the King of France, to Louis XVI. She gave her entire life. And once she came into Paris and she realized there were certain expectations in that society, socially, she tried to live up to what she thought she was supposed to do. She's 15. And they crucified her for it. And she dies the death of a martyr. As far as I'm concerned, she should be up for canonization. Because you know what she did. Maybe some of you know these stories. If you don't, we need to tell the stories. Telling the stories is the most important thing. You want to tell your stories of New Orleans and Catholic New Orleans, right? We have to tell all the stories because our children don't have anything but video games and stupid phones and pornography and garbage. The stories are what we hand down to them. So when Marie Antoinette, for example, this little harlot, right? When she's facing her death, she's in a place called the Conciergerie. She's parked in a little cell about the size of this, of this stage. There's a half wall around it. There's a bed, there's a table, there's a crucifix. 24-7, two brigands, two soldiers are staring at her over the wall, leering at her. She had no privacy. Her husband had been exit, went through unbelievable torment. The crucifix is what saw her through. One of her last requests was that she could have a non-juring priest hear her confession. She wanted to confess her sins, in other words. She begged that a non-juring priest, a priest who had not sold out to the revolution, would hear her confession. They denied her. She went to the gallows. She went and was beheaded without confession rather than yielding to the revolution. And we call her today the harlot who said, let them eat cake. It's all lies. And our own founding fathers, I love my country. I'm a patriot, but I'm open. My, I, my eyes are open to what our own founding fathers did, <laughs> friends. That's why I have the sacred heart on this flag, to reclaim the Catholic part of what and who we are. After Louis XVI, who also dies a martyr's death, after Queen Marie Antoinette dies, after thousands of priests had died, but specifically after the monarchs had died, the author of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, said, oh well, the tree of liberty sometimes has to be watered with the blood of tyrants. We're part of this. The war in the Vendée, 
that we are, that we are engaged in, whether we like it or not, is still going on. And I'm going to talk today about whether that war was a defeat or, or, or was it a victory. But the reality is, friends, it is still going on. Everything that we're going through right now is part of that war of 1789, the Enlightenment coming out of the closet for the demonic force of evil that it is. And their first act, liberty, equality, fraternity, their first act, this Enlightenment body, their first official act is a genocide against their own people, against our people, against the original traditional Catholics. So much for the paragons of mercy and liberty, right? They went down there and exterminated Catholics in their own country, which is why so many people don't know the story to this day, because it's an embarrassment. But people are figuring it out. I take pilgrimages to the Sharp Pilgrimage every year, and we go to these holy places in France. One of the places that we go is the Conciergerie, where I just told you about, where Queen Marie Antoinette spent her last hours. And they had a few years ago, incredibly, erected, about 10 years, 15 years ago, erected a little display at the Conciergerie. This is the place, if you've seen any of the French Revolutionary movies, all the aristocrats are together, huddled together in their families with their children, weeping and praying and consoling each other before they're executed during the Reign of Terror. This is, this is the Conciergerie. You can go visit it. I highly recommend that you do so. This year, I took 50 Americans to visit again to pay homage to Marie Antoinette. And guess what? The entire display is gone. And so I asked the man, the curator, what happened to the display of Marie Antoinette? He said, well, there was a bad impression going on that the main thing that happened here at the Conciergerie was the, was the death of the queen. And there's so much more beautiful thing to the things that are happening here. And we were disturbed by it. They, they, they decided it wasn't good to encourage people to come just to see the queen, you see? So they realized, friends, what we all realize, and what the whole point and purpose of your conference today is, that it's coming back. Given a chance, the truth will come out. People were going to, to find out the revisionist history lies against the queen. They were beginning to get the real story. And once again, the forces of the Enlightenment, globalist government, decided to crush it. So we have to talk about our, our role in this. And I can't tell you how pleased I am. I know we don't have much time, so when I have five minutes left, somebody wave at me because I'm like you, Father. I'll keep going. Although after your talk today, I should just sit down. That was absolutely magnificent. Um, we, we, have to, we have to decide what it is. What, what is our role? What are we going to do as Catholics? And that's why I'm so pleased to, to be here today. Because I saw, Ross, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I saw you on Fox News one night. And you know what struck me about, about you? Your performance there, not a performance, about your presence, your, your, your uh, guest appearance, was a look on your face. I don't know how many of you saw this on Fox. Look on your face like, <laughs> I don't care about Fox News. <laughs> I honestly don't, lady. You look terrific, love the makeup, super hair, but I don't care. <laughs> and that's how we all have to be because what we have to do is so much more powerful, so much more important than getting on TV. Nevertheless, this man gets on TV because he behaved like a Vondean. And we, just, we just had that explained to us. He behaved like a Vondean. The faith is the most important thing to me. I'm sorry if you don't like it. 
And the whole world looks at it now as kind of a curiosity on the one hand, and friends, and I want to close today, this afternoon, on that. The world also looks at that with envy, don't they? This guy believes in something. You see, we're, we're not, not only living in the middle of a revolution. Those of you who are my age, you might remember the 80s. Sylvester Stallone was on TV. The Gipper was beating up the Ruskies in D.C. Maggie Thatcher was over in London. It was fantastic, right? We can all change. So, so Stallone doing movies about the Cold War, right? There were, Madonna, whoa, she was very popular, right? Even culturally, the music, everything seems like it was so difficult to push against it. They got nothing now, right? The revolution is spinning out. They got Joe Biden in the White House. The man is hiding his own Easter eggs. <laughs> Culturally, oh my gosh, you poor young people. You know, looking at what's happening in music with these poor, sad, they're so sad that they can't help but just poke at themselves and color things and pierce things and just to prove they're alive, right? This is tragic. This isn't a threat anymore. I've got seven children. I hardly, I've never in my life said, sweetheart, you can't listen to Miley Cyrus. It doesn't come up. <laughs> well, I have five daughters. It doesn't come up. Because what's happening over there is so hideous, right? And I want to close tonight talking about that. What we have is so awesome. It's so awesome, and we can never, ever forget that. But it starts with an understanding of what actually is happening here. What are we looking at? You've you got to go back to 496, 1,500 years ago, and Clovis and 2,000 of his knights were baptized into the Catholic faith. That's where it starts. It's all about Christ, it's all about what you are. It's all about you. It's all about your kids, your grandkids, seizing that, holding on to that same faith. If we do that, the revolution has got absolutely nothing. And they know it. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Do you know why the Vendée victory? Do you know who declared the Vendée victory? I know. Most people think they lost. Do you know who declared it a victory? Napoleon Bonaparte. We're going to talk about this in a minute because he looks at the Vandeans and he sees the same faith that's animating every single one of you in this room, young kids, old, young, and, he's, and he knows that if we don't do something to stop that, if we don't do some, placate it somehow or stop it somehow, it will topple revolutions. It will destroy the new world order. I'm going to give you a quote in a minute here. But that's why what you're doing here, that's why I salute you, every one of you who's involved with this. This is huge. You are part of history. Part of history, a magnificent idea. Not just reclaim the Catholicism of Louisiana, but re reclaim Catholicism, period. The Vendée army, the Grand and Catholic army, was not one army. It was many armies from different little groups. That's why you have so many generals who are famous for having led it, because it basically was the clans. That's what the clans are. Families all around the world, groups just like this, all around the world, who are keeping the faith and ready to fight for it. The Vendée was the same way. And so when I, when, I, when I was invited to come here today, I, was remember, I remembered 30 years ago when an old man in Paris 
whose name was Arnaud de la Seuss. He was a saint. He and his wife spent every uh, spare moment pushing the devotion to the infant Jesus, whether it's Prague or Cebu or whatever. That's what they did for fun. The rest of the time, this man was a champion counter-revolutionary who ran a very important traditional Catholic magazine in, in, in Paris, which is still alive. I went to the pilgrimage for the first time, pilgrimage to Sharp for the first time. He pulled me aside, and he said, you need to travel to the Vendée. And I said, the what? The Vendée. You need to go to the Vendée and take your, your friends with you. Now, again, this is an, an 85-year-old man. <laughs> and, and I remember still, he pulls out a paper map, of course, pre-internet, and his, little, his finger all gnarled with arthritis, and he's showing me where the, the River Lavoire, the, the, the River Vendée, exactly where we had to go. Now, my point is, at that point, I don't think anybody in this room had ever heard of the Vendée. I don't think they did, and it's absolutely amazing. I, I used to go to something called the Alliance Francaise, which is a, a learned French immersion program. And my teacher, French, comes from the Vendée. When she said she comes from the Vendée, I said, oh my, where? I was like, I was an adult. I was, just, I was in my 30s. You're from the Vendée. She looked embarrassed. And then she's like, yeah, whatever. I could tell she was embarrassed. After class, she asked me what I knew about the Vendée. When I told her what I knew about the Vendée, she's like, okay, nobody knows that. That's extremely controversial. Right? And she, told her, she said she called her papa, and she told him she actually had a student that knew the story of the uprising. Complete blackout. It would, be this, it would be similar to if we knew nothing about the Civil War. That's what's been happening in France for a long time. Why? Because it's embarrassing. This, like I say, the, act of, the first act of the Great Enlightenment was, was genocide. You have, you have historians like Reynald Séché. If you don't know him, definitely uh, Google him and read his, his book, uh, The War in the Vendée. He tried to get the European Union to recognize the genocide in the Vendée. And for his trouble, his apartment in, in Paris was, was firebombed three times. And he's still over there trying to get this out. So you're part of something here. This is really big. It really is. So this book, we went to the Vendée at my friend's suggestion, the old friend in Paris. And I grabbed my friend, Michael Davies, who was an historian, a brilliant guy. I hope, I hope a bunch of you might, might remember his name. He was a premier traditional Catholic, a defender of the Latin Mass. And we went to the Vendée. And we really went to the Vendée. We dug in. Because nobody, there's no tourists down there for the Vendée. So for example, there's something called the, Martyr of, the Chapel of the Martyrs, where a lot of the Vendéans, women, children, uh, would go when they were being exterminated with, the, with what they called the infernal columns. We'd spend all day talking about the methods with which the blues, the revolution, tried to make sure there was nothing left living in Catholic Vendée. So the Chapel of Martyrs, it wasn't on a map. The bus driver couldn't find it. We finally found this little gravel road with our big bus, and we had an idea where it was, and we found it covered in, covered in you know, vines and overgrown. That's how deeply buried the story of the Vendée actually was. So we went to a place called the Chaborderie, and we told the story of all the generals and of all the, what, what had happened in the Vendée, what was, uh, what was behind it, what motivated it, and that turned into this book. And this is for Altar and Throne, this is 30 years ago. This book has gone all over the world, hundreds of thousands of copies. People have made movies about the Vendée. People at conferences like this have started to pop up all over the place. Maybe most importantly, the Sharp Pilgrimage, which was, this was already happening in France, is all about the Vendée. And that's why the Sacred Heart is emblazoned on that flag, because they do the same thing with the French flag. And they get in a lot of trouble for that. 
But in other words, my point is, the Vendee War is still going on. And you didn't just stumble on this idea. This is providence. This is God's providence saying, somebody has to tell, tell the story. Somebody has to complete this. How does it end? How does it end? And so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, you, could, you could take the whole thing apart from a military point of view, from a historical point of view. It's so interesting. It's such a beautiful story. It's all in here if you want to, if you want to find out. But there's just two things that need to be, I think, with the short time that we have, really, really driven home. One of them you already know about, the Sacre Coeur, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The reason the Vendée survived in the faith, Brittany, Western France, the reason it survived as it did, and as Father said, the reason it resisted as it did was because of a man named St. Louis de Montfort. St. Louis de Montfort, 100 years before, had planted the faith so deeply in the, in the forests and ravines of the Vendée, the, the farming communities of the Vendée, that it literally became the most powerful counter-revolutionary force during the revolution in France, St. Louis de Montfort. So it's really important that we look into that because things are falling apart dramatically in France. Good news, we went to, we went to Paray le Mignal this year, a few months ago, on June 1st, the month of Pride, first day of Pride Month, and miraculously got a permission to have a full traditional Latin mass right in the church uh, where, our lady, where, where our Lord appeared to, uh, St. Margaret Mary. Good things are happening, bad things are happening. You talked about the, the sacred, uh, the, the devotion to the Holy Face. I took a group of pilgrims to the place, the shrine where the Holy Face devotion began. There were no nuns there. There were no people there. It's empty. So there's a, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, but the Sacred Heart devotion is coming back. And it's really important. In fact, I only have a few, but if any of you want um, to, come, to come to me after this talk, I'm not going to charge you for it. We're trying to, we started the League of the Sacred Heart in, uh, in homage or to, to try to do what the Vendeans had done. So we have spread these little Sacred Heart lapel pins all over the world. I've got some on me. I'll be happy to share as many as I, as I can. But only with the uh, stressing this idea, the Sacred Heart of Jesus motivated them. That's what did it. St. Louis, Louis de Montfort gave that to them, that devotion more than anything else. It motivated them. These are not being worn by these guys for the fun of it. That's the Vendean uniform. The Vendee didn't have a lot of money. They were a bunch of farmers and peasants, and so their uniform was very simple. It consisted of a rosary around their necks and the sacre coeur that they wore into battle. It was their uniform. So we need to, I think, bring that back, especially to our children. It's like a secret weapon. The Cristeros used it. Uh, the, the Italian uh, Catholic Restoration Movement used it. Obviously, it's connected to the Christ the King movement. But everybody who wants to go up against this demon the demonic revolution is devoted to the Sacred Hearts. So we have to do that. So I would say that would be the one big takeaway from that, from, from what I want to say about the... About the uh, uh, about the, the spiritual component of it. And then I, I will close with uh, what I think to be a really important, especially for young people, a really important part of the story of the Vendee. And again, it, 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 you could tell the story of each of these heroes, these generals, but for some reason I think telling the story of, of Francois Charette de la Country is, is the story to tell. He's called the king of the Vendée. He puts the lie to this, this, the idea, the fake news, that priests and nobility and military people were dragging the peasants into war. No, it was just the opposite. 
Charette had fought in the Revolutionary War in, America, in our country for, for a time. When he was approached by the peasants of the Vendée to go out and fight against the revolution, he was hiding under his bed because he did not want the responsibility. They literally had to coax him from out from under his bed. Not a saint. He was a military guy, but they needed that. They needed a strategist. They needed a powerful military mind. So he came out and he said, yeah, okay, but you have to do exactly what I tell you to do. And then, I'll do, and then I will lead you. He turns out to be the most powerful visual figurehead of resistance against the Freemasons and as a, of the revolution. And as he goes along, he becomes a holier and holier man. You can see it. A lot of them, a lot of them did. They, they died martyrs' deaths. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is because we face today a temptation as Americans. Like if we can just get Donald Trump in or whatever and just have our freedom to, be, to, you know, to, to, to live our religion among the pantheon of other religions, that all will be well. That, my friends, is, is not the case. Father, Father is absolutely right. We're beyond that now. It's too late. So we can support a Donald Trump for, for one reason, hoping to buy a little time for the Catholics to wake up because we have the answer, right? And I told you that many people say the Vendeans lost the war. Let me just read this very quickly, what Napoleon thought about that. Okay, this is Napoleon Bonaparte. Now remember, he called the Vendeans les petits giants, the little giants. He refused during the war, he refused to fight in the West because he had such incredible admiration for them. <laughs> He's a mixed bag, this guy. But, but he said, he said they had such heart, these little giants, that if they hadn't gone back to their wives and kids all the time, they could have gone to Paris and crushed the whole revolution. Which is true, because there are several examples of the battle happening when the Vendean armies, there's a great one, I think it's the Battle of Nantes before they actually eventually won it, and they go in and they realize they're outmanned, outnumbered, and they're gonna lose big time, the Vendeans realize this, right? And so they, they, they call the retreat, and they all go running across the river, over the bridge, to try to go back into, into the tall grass, only to be met by their wives with frying pans saying, you get out there and finish this job. So, <laughs> so it's very true that the Vendeans, you know what they wanted to do? Alexander Solzhenitsyn talked about it. By the way, Alexander Solzhenitsyn went to the Vendee in 1996 to celebrate it. So he was another one that understood the importance of the, of, of the Vendee. But he, he said, be careful of people who wanted to be left alone. The Vendeans wanted to be left alone. I would guess that Ross wanted to be left alone a few months ago and they came after him. That's all we want. We want to be left alone, raise our children, serve our God, save our souls, right? But they're not going to let us do that. And that's what we mean by it's too late. They're not going to let us do that. So we have to, we have to get ready for, for the war. So Napoleon Bonaparte has respect for them. And he also says something very interesting that I think we, as traditional Catholics, I assume most of us, we should reflect on. Napoleon, he says, it is my firm intention that the Christian, Catholic, and Roman religion shall be preserved in its entirety, that it shall be publicly performed, no society can exist without morality. There is no good morality without religion. It is religion alone, therefore, that gives to the state a firm and durable support. As soon as I am able to confer with the, with the Pope, I hope to have the happiness of removing every obstacle which will hinder complete reconciliation between France and the head of the church. 
You see why he did this? He had to, because the spirit of the Vendée was going to crush it if they didn't do something. Well, friends, that's the same spirit that, that we have today. That has to be the same spirit. It's not about our personal freedom. It's not about freedom of religion. That's part of it. I'll take advantage of it if they don't want to kill me yet. But that's not the end game. That's not the main thing we're doing here. And the great example of that comes to us again from Francois Charette, the king of the Vendée, who didn't even want to fight at first until he realized how evil this revolution is. And then he refused. He absolutely refused to back down. He led campaign after campaign. Finally, there's a general called General Hoche who was so um, sick and tired of chasing Charette around that he offers him total freedom, liberty. He says, you guys can go home. You can practice your Catholic religion. We will, you'll be unmolested. We'll leave you alone. We just have to stop the war. And Charette says, no. I'm fighting for Christ the King. I'm fighting for the King of France. I'm fighting for the Catholic faith. Not just to save my little keister. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but that's what he said to them. And so the war went on. Now listen to this. This is how he ends up. This, the, the, uh, uh, the, the King of the Vendée. Which would appear to the world to be a total loss for him. He won't give up. He's losing more and more of his men. They're saying, General, we need to quit. We can't win this. It can't happen. He says, we must. We said we would die for this. We must. He keeps going. He keeps going. He's down to 400 men. He's down to 300 men. He's down to 200 men. And he's still fighting. And Hoche, the general, the Republican general, is putting more and more men, understanding how important it is to stop that figurehead, to stop that example of the guy who would die for his faith. And so they sent more soldiers, more into a crazy campaign to get one guy and about 25 of his compatriots. They're over the, the, the River Loire, had flooded. So the, in the end, Charette is running. His men are crying out in the darkness, I am Charette, I am Charette, and getting shot, trying to save him by claiming to be him. In the end, he's thrown everything he has. As the soldiers close in, he's throwing his knife at them, everything he has. And he's still digging and climbing through the mud to continue to fight. One of the, one of the, they blew, they took a saber and they whacked at him as he stuck out his hand to fight hand-to-hand -hand combat, took three of his fingers off. And he still crawled and climbed to fight until finally they just were able to close in around him. And the king of the Vendée was in their control. And they took him to a place called a Chabotterie. And they administered to him. They wanted to make sure he was able to walk. When they paraded him around Nantes and everywhere else, he had been victorious to prove to everyone, to break the spirit of the Vendée, that, he, that Charette had fallen. When it comes time for his own execution, he says, he wanted, again, he wanted to have a, a, a non-juring priest. They refused. Because he's not a saint, he wasn't going to take a chance. He confessed his sin to a non-juring priest, but only because, I mean to a juring priest, but only because a non-juring priest had agreed, they told him, they got message and word to him, there would be a priest standing in the window as he passed to his execution. When the window opened up, he would get absolution as, as Charette walked through the street. And that's what happened. So he ended up getting absolution twice. He stands in front of the firing squad now, and he tells them, he said, my, my last request is that I give the I give the word when to fire. And they, gave, they granted that, that request to him. And he points to his chest. Here is the place 
where you must shoot and ki to kill the Catholic man who loves France. Vive le roi, long live the king. Lowers his head, and they shoot him five times in the chest, and he falls to the ground. He's 33 years old. Gave up everything for what we believe in today. Now, if you factor in what Napoleon would say later, Napoleon was trying to come up with a political solution, right? A solution Charette wouldn't have taken. Because it's all about, the Vendée is all about the thing that we hold most dear, the faith of our fathers. We will not sell it in order to save our skins. We cannot sell it. We never will. That's the whole, that's the whole uh, example or lesson of the Vendée. Even Napoleon re recognized the power of the faith, the power of the old faith. That's the thing that unites us all, whether we're from New Orleans or Germany or Spain. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There are people who are keeping the faith all over the world, friends. Right now, I just came back from the Sharp Pilgrimage. 20,000 pilgrims. The average age is 20 years old. The Bishop of Chartres invited me to dinner, to lunch. And he's not a traditionalist. But he doesn't know what to do with this amazing spectacle of faith. It's coming back, friends. And I want to close on that, because I think sometimes, it's such a beautiful talk, Father. Thank you so much for your talk. It's so important to under, understand the theological underpinnings of what we must do now as confirmed soldiers of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, sometimes, I think those of us who've been in the fight for a long time can look at the younger ones, get kids here. I mean, this is, they're, they're the future. What are they, how did they make it this far? You know, it's a testimony to their parents and to the faith and to everything that's going on, the grace of God, right? But sometimes I think we have to look at the young people especially, and we have to ask them, what are you going to do if you apostatize? What's going to happen to you? What do you get if you stop being a Catholic? Blue hair? <laughs> Pierced everythings? Pointless existence? Sad existence? What do you get? And to those who, of us who are maybe a little bit more middle-aged, <laughs> we're all going to be dead. I'm going to be dead in 30 years if I'm lucky. Do I really want to apostatize? Do I really want to deny this so I can live on a few more years in this hell on earth that the Enlightenment is creating? Or do we imagine ourselves in that swamp over the River Loire. And Francois Charette is climbing through the mud trying to get out. And we say, maybe the best thing, the biggest honor of my life is to help him out. Maybe the most important thing I could do is wait and see if I can help end the story, complete the story, tell the last chapter. Maybe I will be all of us Maybe we will be among the folks about whom the last chapter of the Vendée Uprising is written. The folks who never forgot. Who believed as the Vendéans, not because they're saints, but because they're Catholics, they love God, they're sinners, they need the church to save their souls, and they will die for Holy Mother Church. 
Maybe that's how we should look at this. That someday, if we do it right, that's why this, this, this conference is so important. Dig in, as he said, dig in. Dig in. Because they're terrified that you're going to do that. That there is no price that they can buy or silence you or pay you off in order to get you out of this, off this battlefield. Dig in. And maybe someday they'll be telling our story. I think, I believe with all my heart, that's what we have to say to our children. That this is the greatest honor of your life. That you get to be a part. That you get to be part of the few and the proud who kept the faith. And at the end of the day, as Mike Church was pointing out, We've got the music, we've got the culture, we've got everything that's beautiful and wonderful. The thing that built Christendom, what have they built today with their new world order? Nothing. They're tearing everything down. Everything good, from family to sex, to, 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 to every imaginable cultural expression that was fun and innocent and good and pure. They're destroying it all. And we have a chance to preserve the family. The family. The family, preserve the family, keep it together, pray that rosary together, not as a duty, as an honor. We'll kneel in the dark and we'll say our rosary like Charette must have done, like the Vondeans did, because that's our role now. I think we can get a lot farther with that. And I know for me, I come up all the way from St. Paul, Minnesota, down here to stand with you guys trying to rebuild the Vendee. I'll tell you what, forget your stipend, Russ. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be on the ground floor of whatever this thing is to rebuild the Bondi. God bless you all.